Hey guys, as you may have seen on our Facebook page, our generous employers at Legend Comics are holding a fundraiser for the Nebraska chapter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Starting now until Free Comic Book Day on Saturday, May 5th, we are selling door price tickets for $5 each, with the grand prize being a genuine copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man, valued at $5,000. There are also several local prizes for you local listeners, but you uh, international listeners or out-of-state listeners... International Playboy listeners... ...should feel free to donate because anyone is eligible to win. If you go to legendcomicsomaha.com, you can see all of the details and click our donate button there and give to this great cause. Every $5 increment you give gets you one entry into the drawing. So give till it hurts, people! This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. What's up, everybody? This is Dot Com, and you're listening to the two-headed, two-headed uh, nerd, the two-headed nerd. Yeah, you listen to my favorite show that I listen to all the time, the two-headed nerd with Joe and who? Matt. Joe and Matt. Matt yeah, and my two buddies, my favorite buddies. <laughs> sort, of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Dudes, welcome to episode hey. 63 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd wow. news for the week of Wednesday, April 18th. And we return to reading your tweets. While we do it, don't forget to tweet us at 2 nerd on the Twitter. Calm my down, name, man. <laughs> Calm down. You're harsh in my mellow. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not scraping resin from my incredible Hulk pipe to make way for some particularly stinky Ochi Kush on this 420 <laughs> holiday, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WordPoint.com. I admit I had to call somebody to ask them for the name of a really stinky weed. <laughs> some dank herb. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not celebrating 420 by getting positive with the help of a special Tootsie Roll or perhaps a tasty magic brownie, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You know that this won't be out until the 22nd, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're still recording on 420, All right. dude. All right. This week, you'll hear reviews of The Shadow Number 1 and Supergirl Number 8. After that, we'll review 10 comics in a blur of fur and fangs and teeth. We like to call the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, we'll prove that anything can be criticized when we review Jim Henson's <laughs> Tale of Sand in this month's edition of Take a Look. It's in a book, but before we get to all the coughing and giggling, let's take a second to ask Marvel Comics just what the f- happened to our invitation to the Avengers premiere, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. Rumor has it DC Comics will publish zero issues for all of its new 52 books coming in September. Revolutionary idea, by the way. Which just happens to be the one-year anniversary of the relaunch. Each title in the line will be renumbered number zero, with the number 13 issues running in October instead. According to BleedingCool.com, these books will reveal events that occurred prior to each title's first issue. We could see some long-awaited explanations for post-relaunch continuity questions, untold tales, or even new origin stories. Now, while the issues will be telling stories of the past, they will also be designed to tie into each series' next present-day storyline, making them essential reading rather than skippable filler issues. I feel like every time they tell us that something is absolutely essential reading, you can go ahead and skip it. Bleeding Cool also hints at some creator surprises, such as a rumored return of Keith Giffen to the Legion of Superheroes, which has happened before and it's yeah. not that big of a deal, but 
you know, along those like, lines. Wow, really? <laughs> oh my god. Now, Matt, what do you think? Is this where DC finally rips the Band-Aid off the whole Barbara Gordon Oracle situation? I'm guessing yes. They've got to, right? We can't. They've not addressed it for too long. This is a perfect place to do it. If they don't do it, they don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they just I agree. straight up don't know, and they're making this up as they go anyway. So whatever. Uh, we were having this conversation in the comic shop earlier this week. I think DC's trying too hard to have their cake and eat it too by um, shoehorning references to old continuity while still reintroducing old characters as though they were brand new. Yeah, and I totally agree. Uh, if this issue kind of clears the decks and clarifies things so that we can just sigh and have a deep breath and a good cry and move on. Or at least then, know what we're talking about. Yeah, not knowing where we stand is the hard part, so I hope they do it right. Enough real news. Let's move to gossip. Chris Roberson, writer of iZombie and the Cinderella series for DC's Vertigo imprint, took to Twitter on Wednesday to announce that his relationship with DC Comics was at an end. And it seems like he's not afraid to burn some bridges while he leaves. Roberson tweeted, quote, having an afternoon cocktail to celebrate the end of my time at DC, aside from the Ferris arc I already committed to doing, iZombie will be the last time I ever write for DC. After fans expressed their displeasure, citing particular properties they'd hoped he'd write one day, he replied, quote, Sorry, in a better world, characters like the Legion would be owned by a more ethical company. What does that mean? Mm. But sadly, not in this one. The short version is, I don't agree with the way they treat other creators and their general business practices. This won't be the last we see of Roberson, however. The writer hinted at plenty of other comic work in his future, but that work sure as won't be for DC or Vertigo. And this just in, that Ferris arc he mentioned, not happening. Whoa, Dan DiDio went, oh, really? Thanks, you're fired. They informed him his You can't service- fire me, I quit! <laughs> they informed him his services would no longer be required. What happened? Who's he talking about? Because he's not talking about himself. He's he says talking- other creators. Yeah, he's talking about... <clears throat> he's talking about stuff like Before Watchmen... And the general, oh, uh, the countersuing of the Siegel and Schuster estates. But he's pissed about that now? Or he was just quiet about it until he found a good place to quit? Well, it, seems like, it just seems weird to, to get vocal about it now. He, we were he, yelling about this last year on this show. He did say that he had made the decision to quit a while ago, and he was just waiting for a good kind of time where everything was wrapping up. I feel like there's Well, he was waiting else. for his book to get canceled. iZombie got canceled. Could so. be that. I also feel... I feel like there's something else going on, too, though. Like, something more personal. No, he's... No, he's... He Just says, by the way it's worded. I don't know. He said in other in other messages and, and little blog posts or wherever they were, but it wasn't anything to do with the editors he worked with or the people he worked with. It was the company in general, uh, and he specifically cited Watchmen. And the Siegel and Schuster thing. And he huh. said it had been bothering him for a while, and he decided to, to walk the walk. Chris, we love you. Good for you. Good luck to whatever comes next, buddy. Yeah, I hope it works out for you. Finally, the world premiere of Joss Whedon's Avengers movie was held last week, just prior to C2E2. And while there's still an embargo on official reviews for the time being, that didn't stop attendees from bombing Twitter with their responses to the film. Early response from celebrity fans and movie critics alike has been overwhelmingly positive. Ain't it cool news, known for their subtle reviews, tweets, The Avengers, finally a Marvel film with a rousing finish. That third act is more than enough to make The Avengers the best Marvel movie yet. Then there was a cha-ching noise written in there as well. (laughs) Variety writes, it's the bomb. I could not... It's the bomb? Yeah. Who says that? I could not... Variety? Yeah, come on, Variety. I could not possibly say enough. Not a false note. Innovative. Brutal, in all caps. And goddamn funny. Hype. 
it's like equals believe it it's like they sent carlton from the fresh prince to review the (laughs) (laughs) collider writes absolutely loved the avengers was smiling from beginning to end two things that made the avengers amazing the hulk and the humor joss whedon gets a 10 out of 10 on both of those and finally seth green wrote so that was amazing like double plus awesome thank (laughs) you 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 i mean you could hear seth that was amazing like double plus awesome (laughs) thank you joss whedon for giving us all the avengers movie we deserve now if that isn't enough to get your nerd juices flowing the cast of the film assembled one final time to film a secret scene after the premiere ended what the crap though producers are claiming that it was for a simple reshoot nothing more and it was just that that was the best time everyone was in the same place oh bullshit (laughs) that is bullshit now matt i could not be more excited and i know secret spoilery things that i'm choosing not to mention i don't want to know out of respect secret spoilery thing i am so excited i've stopped paying attention to avengers coverage altogether because i feel like i have already seen three quarters of the movie oh stop nothing is gonna surprise me i've seen it all in the like they better film something else awesome and do me a favor don't show it in the damn trailers like you showed us everything else i'm excited for this it's going to be great they did not show everything in the trailer they've showed me way too much i wish i didn't see the hulk i wish i would have walked into the theater waiting to see what the hulk looks like but it's not a spoiler that the hulk is in the movie i know it's not but it is a spoiler to show him to me they've showed us everything yes i'm excited but come on hold something back that's all i'm saying matt bomb professional fan there you go that is the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where you can read early reviews of this episode from Variety, who had this to say about episode 63 on Twitter. It's the bomb! I could not possibly say enough. Not a masculine note. Homoerotic, effeminate, and goddamn queer. Hype equals these guys are gay. I didn't know Variety was so homophobic. They're not necessarily homophobic. I think they're just calling us out. <laughs> I don't have anything to follow Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> when are we to finally kiss on the air oh man it's like it's like moonlighting yeah the show will totally jump the shark each week on the show matt and i string up two comics from our catch of the week and then gut them on the dock to see what spills out at our feet gross right yeah. yeah. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I read The Shadow, number one, from Dynamite Comics, written by Garth Ennis, with art by Aaron Campbell. That's two A's, by the way, if you're looking for his name. Here's your solicitation. 1930. He a boy. He a boy. 1938. The Shadow returns in a tale of blazing action and deadly intrigue as a night of carnage in the New York waterfront plunges the mysterious vigilante into a conspiracy involving the fate of the world itself. As storm clouds gather across the globe, American military intelligence meets with a certain Lamont Cranston, determined to beat a host of spies and assassins to the greatest prize of all. But what that might be, only the shadow knows. What? And then it was like, <laughs> for our younger audience, the shadow is yet another pulp character. The dynamite is revitalizing this time with the help of preacher and countless other war comics writer Garth Ennis. Unlike John Carter of Mars, this time Dynamite seems to have taken care to actually pay for the rights to use this character. So, no worries of legal action killing the series here, huh? Hooray, Dynamite! Way to do your job! The Shadow is the alter ego of Kent Allard, an ex-World War I flying ace who faked his own death and returned to fight crime in New York as the gun-toting master of hypnotism, The Shadow, while posing as a wealthy man about town, Lamont Cranston. That's... 
two secret identities. He's got two secret identities. That's twice as cool as Batman. He's like a double Batman. Think of Bat. Think about. Think of him as Batman with guns and less gadgets. The character was created. It's, it's like if Bruce Wayne dressed up as Batman, who then dressed up as the Punisher. Who Yes, and was completely nuts, but we'll get to that. The character was created as a narrator of the 1930s radio drama Detective Stories, but soon got his own show and later a series of pulp detective story novels written by Walter Gibson, where the character was developed into the dark caped figure wearing a wide-brimmed hat and a red scarf that we recognize today. These pulp novels were also said to influence the creation of both Green Hornet and Batman. Thanks, Wikipedia. There you go. Older guys like me might remember Alec Baldwin's Shadow movie in 1994, although I have to admit, it is not on Netflix, and I can't remember if it holds up or not. No. Not like The Phantom with Billy Zane, which I loved. (laughs) This is the eighth or maybe ninth time we've seen The Shadow get his own comic series, and needless to say, I was a little skeptical. Dynamite has done a fine job with several of their other pulp golden age characters but currently they really aren't putting anything out that i would call required reading but four pages into this one i'm totally sold there's an excellent panel where ennis is setting up who the shadow is he's hunting down these two japanese war criminals guilty of some particularly nasty war crimes who fled to new york the page shows the shadow recalling the war crimes of the japanese soldiers as he turns his head in a pose that for me totally recalled like michael kaluta's shadow from his 1970s dc series so they've moved him up in time a little bit a little bit because he was pre-world war ii yeah the original character fought in world war one but this looks to be world war ii shadow as I was saying, Aaron Campbell's shadow, very reminiscent of Michael Kaluta's shadow, which is a very iconic series. And I, when I think of the shadow, that's what I picture. Campbell is awesome here, using a very realistic but noir style that reminds me of like Gabriel Hardman's stuff, which is yeah. very photorealistic, but still dark and scary, very Mike Kaluta style to me. The page where we first see the shadow is just Excellent. He's standing on these girders above the the two men that he's hunting who are surrounded by a bunch of other henchmen. He's got his trademark Colt 45s in his hand and he yells out, I want you, you pair of vermin, prepare for your death. (laughs) Like, he's terrifying. This is Batman if Batman shot people in the face at point blank range. (laughs) Like, this is a very violent book. Ennis's Shadow is a supernatural punisher that scares the crap out of criminals even his like white on black word balloons look really scary (laughs) after the intro we meet his alter ego lamont cranston who's good looking bruce wayne type guy talking to a government agent looking for info on the murder of these two japanese war criminals and also wants to know how cranston knows so much about why they were there and what they were looking for and it's his shadow also seems to have like precognition powers and i think they're based on physical contact he does make like a statement where he says it's easier for him to see what happens to kids but adults are a little more hazy and it's based on trauma and spiritualism and other things but there's this great panel where a little kid runs by him and brushes up on him and the mother is like oh i'm sorry about that and he's like oh don't worry him enjoy it while he's a kid because uh he's gonna die over a place called rosenberg or rosengrand or something in germany in like five years also this character is nuts like religious zealot nuts there's a fantastic scene where he's talking to his love interest margot lane and he reveals that she knows who he is 
She absolutely knows he's the shadow, and he is possessed by his job. He believes he is like the bloodied hand of God sent to punish the wicked. And she says to him, how long are you going to be the shadow? And he looks her in the face and he goes, longer than you're going to be Margot Lane. <laughs> and she goes, what the hell and, is that Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> this is an awesome, super fun, just like crime noir detective romp starring a terrifying character. I can't say enough about this one. Huge buy here. Way to go, Garth Ennis. Great choice by Dynamite to write this sort of somewhere between World War One, World War Two type crime detective story i loved it strong by it i liked it as well i don't have a huge affinity for the shadow um i always thought he was cool um when i was a kid i really liked that movie starring jack donaghy yeah i mean like outside of the kaluta images i i never even read that series but i just always thought man that guy looks cool i really liked this issue i like the idea of the shadow i like that he is just a regular guy but he's got this kind of weird uh, like the thing with the shadows that he He's famous for this power to cloud men's minds, and um, I don't remember seeing a ton of that in this issue, but there, there's something about him that's just not quite right. You know, he, he yeah. unnerves people, and he's able to affect people in a really strange way. Totally neat. He's he's different than your archetypal crime fighter character. I, I really dug it. The art was great. The Gabriel Hardman comparison was dead on. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Joe, why don't you tell us about Supergirl number 8 from DC? Supergirl 8 was written by Michael Green and Mike Johnson with art by George Perez and Bob Wyacek. Uh, Here's your solicit. As the NYPD hunter down, Supergirl takes refuge with a new friend named Siobhan. While Supergirl may have temporarily escaped her troubles, Siobhan's are just about to catch up with her. The curse of the Silver Banshee has risen, and this time it's brought its family with it. Okay, I'm going to say this right up front. This is not my favorite issue of this series. I was a little shocked when you said you wanted to review this one because I read it and went, really? Yeah, I'll get into it. It, It's certainly not bad, uh, but what makes it stand out for me isn't the main plot involving Kara's new friend or the reintroduction of a classic villain. It's the writing team's consistent and subtle building of a new mythology for this character. Uh, There are a lot of little touches that I really enjoy, like Kara struggling with this outfit of Earth clothes that she has to put on, and she is wondering why they won't learn how to fit her because she's used to Kryptonian technology. Um, And, you know, she's also like talking to the TV because she sort of recognizes that form of technology, but it's not quite what she's used to. It's that sort of thing that I just really enjoy, and it all happens in the background, and after eight months, our time, she still doesn't speak English or even have a home. Like, this, Supergirl is homeless. Yeah. Much different than Jeff Loeb's, like, belly shirt Supergirl, who was just like, where am I? I don't speak English. I do now, though, and I feel like dressing like a slut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was basically it. This, this Supergirl is a frightened child who can barely understand what's going on around her or why people are attacking her, and her confused reactions just make things worse. Green and Johnson might have overdone it a little bit with Siobhan's Irish brogue. Which drives me insane. Yeah, it's your... At ease and you're the Y-U-I-R. You're so great to help me, the real lost world, Ireland. You sound like Sasha Baron Cohen right yeah, now. That's terrible. Uh, that said, that wasn't a deal breaker for me. It doesn't bother me. Dinner, that's another. I dinner think you that, can help me. Stop it. <laughs> 
the only reason I stopped to mention it is because every time I read it in comics now, I hear Matt's voice in my head. <laughs> it's just awful. I hate it. Uh, plus, I, I did like their take on Siobhan's power. Uh, she's got like this power over sound and how she can use it to communicate with Kara. Or her voice more. Not just sound, but like language. Linguistics. Right. Well, yeah. Because she's like talking to birds and stuff, yeah. too. Yeah. It's not like Cypher... From right. the New Mutants, which is a linguistic power. It's like she's in tune with the sound, and she's able to understand it right. and, and duplicate it. And I just I thought that was an interesting take on what makes the Silver Banshee do her thing. George Perez fills in for Mahmoud Asrar on art, which is not too shabby as filling artists go. No. Uh, Perez packs his usual level of detail into every page. The thing I appreciated most about his art in this issue is how he actually makes Kara look her age. She looked like a kid. She yeah, didn't she look did like look a... young. He doesn't make her, like, there are some artists that are like, well, we've got to make her look young, so I guess she's five. Right. You <laughs> know, like, it's either, they're either 29 or five years old. Yeah, you she know? looked like a, a teenager, a 16-year-old girl, or however old she's supposed to be. Now, we're only eight issues in, and I already care more about this version of Supergirl than I ever did about the sexed up belly shirt version we had before. Oh, yeah. Though that book, to be fair, did take a definite upswing in quality for a while, thanks to Sterling Gates and his tie-ins to Jeff Johns' Superman. This is much more in the tone of Sterling Gates' Supergirl, though. Absolutely. Sure, like, sure. Like, it's getting back to the Kryptonian ideas and the who yeah, am yeah. I, I'll why am I here type yes. stuff. And that is what's really interesting. I got... I think the last storyline was a little more interesting for me, her visiting Argo City and stuff like oh, sure. that. And they're probably going to develop something pretty cool with the Silver Banshee. Like, this was not bad for me. No. I'm not going to say I hated it, but I'm going to give this issue a skim it just because I don't think it was the best Supergirl issue I've read, but a really good series. Well, and see, I'm giving the issue a buy it because while the series is not, rather, while this issue is not necessarily my favorite issue of the series, it's not bad, and there is enough of the stuff that I like. To keep me interested. I, I just love how they're building this character and making her interesting. Like, eight issues in, she still can't communicate with people. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a slow burn here, and I that's just, interesting. I love it. You and, don't like, see a lot Superman, of that in Superman didn't swoop in and fix her. Yeah. I, I just, I find it very interesting. This book is still one of my favorites of the relaunch. I'm giving it a buy it. Do you still like the knee boots? I don't like the knee boots. God, they're dumb. I don't really the focus weird, that much the on the knee The weird knee go-go boot thing? Ugh, just dumb. It's her Kryptonian uh, bot mitzvah. <laughs> her Kryptonian kinocera. <laughs> As always, we want to know what you kids thought of these comics, so let us know how hazed and drug-induced our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Joe, before it gets any cloudier in here, why don't you read me a tweet from one of our loyal listeners? Well, I have a tweet here from Scott's screen name 2 on Twitter. Whoa. By the way, Scott... It is impossible to read this name the way you have it typed out, so maybe think about changing that if you're trying to promote your creative projects. Scott wants us to mention his Kickstarter campaign. He's got a book coming out, or that he wants to put out, called Crack Gets a Job, and it's about an unemployed cyborg that has to find real work. How is Crack spelled? K-R-A-K. Crack. You're going to have to search for that on Kickstarter because the actual URL is a string of gibberish. 
Go to Kickstarter.com, search for Crack Gets a Job, throw the guy 10 bucks. He wants to get a comic book made, and it uh, sounds kind of fun. Yeah, and retweet us that with the proper URL, and we'll, re- we'll retweet that. No, I have. I already retweeted it, and oh, I have hey. the proper URL. It's so. just, I'm not going to read that string of nonsense. On You're it. welcome. Focus, 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 focus. Now it's time for DJ and I to roll a fat split and smoke down, which will enable us to focus our Forza 4 racing skills to 13-year-old Japanese kid level so we can blow by you suckers in multiplayer mode in our custom Insane Clown Posse-themed 1998 Dodge Neon complete with big, dumb, f***ing whale tail. All the while reviewing 10 comics in the ludicrous speed round, bro. Ludicrous speed! Go! I'm Wasted, Manhattan Projects 2 from Image. Oh, man, this book opened up the secrets of the universe for me, man. Yeah, dude. This one's completely different from number one. It shifts focus to Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi rocket scientist, and it was radical. It had really fun art. I love this book. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Mixtape number one from Arden. Yeah, Arden put this out. The same guys are putting out the crappy Atlas relaunch. This was a very charming slice of life comic about a guy discovering his old mixtapes from the early 90s and reflecting on his life at the time. So I'm guessing he's about my age. Really well written stuff by Brad Abraham. Nice black and white art by Jock. Not that Jock. Not that Jock. Okay. I'm giving this a buy it if you can find it. It was a great read. Defenders number five. This book is awesome. I love the, de- the Defenders. We're in the middle of a series of... I've been saying this for three issues, and I you know. were doubting me. No, the first storyline was just okay, but now we're in a series of standalone issues. This one focused on Namor, Captain Nemo, and Namor's now questionable ha- parentage. Whoa. I loved it. I'm ready. <laughs> it's so good. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Great art by Mitch Breitweiser. Punisher number 10. Oh, that guy is awesome. Uh, this is the second part from Marvel. This is the second part of the Omega Effect team-up story featuring Daredevil, Spidey, and the Punisher dealing with a computer drive holding very sensitive info on just about every nefarious organization on the planet. This is great dialogue from Greg Rucka. There were some laugh-out-loud Spidey moments here, like really good Spidey dialogue, but I am not totally sure what happened on the last page. I know, I'm not going to go into it. I know it's something bad, but I looked at it a few times and went, huh? Still giving it a buy it. Fun storyline so far. I bet they spell it out next issue. Resident Alien, number zero from Dark Horse. Uh, This is the collection of short stories from Dark Horse Presents, which I did not know when I picked it up. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that when I picked it up, and it leads into uh, issue number one. It's about an alien who crash lands on Earth and has to blend in with society in small town America. Uh, I really, really liked it, and it it was new to me, so I'm giving it a buy it. Wolverine and the X-Men, number nine from Marvel. This one seems to take place right before the events of A versus X-Zero. It's a, there's a great opening scene that shows aliens betting on which planet the Phoenix Force is going to destroy next. Breathtaking art by Chris Bacalo or Bacello, or Bacello, or however the hell you want to say his name. It's weird, because I'm not a fan of Jason Aaron's solo Wolvie title, but I'm saying his X title is currently the best one on the stands. Near-perfect dialogue scene between Wolvie and ID in one scene. If you've ever enjoyed the X-Men, buy this damn comic. I loved it. Justice League, number eight, from DC. This is another standalone issue, art by Carlos Danda. Danda. (laughs) And really, all it did was serve to show me why the reboot version of Green Arrow is just a joke. Yeah, he sucks. He just sucks. And I don't care. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It had a lot of fun little hints about Steve Trevor's past. 
He was in Team 7. That's awesome. Yeah, right? That's totally awesome. Uh, I'm, I can only give it a skim it. Uh, Justice League needs to be better. Secret History of D.B. Cooper number 2 from Oni. This book is awesome. Brian Chirilla or Chirilla or whatever the hell his name is. Chirilla. Is insane. This is the adventures of D.B. Cooper who is walking a line between reality and this area called the Glut, which seems to be sort of this psychic force that it's connects like, all of our brains. Like the astral plane. He's assassinating people for the CIA. He's walking around with a cute little red teddy bear that's helping him. It is just nuts. I love this book. Buy it. Nightwing, number eight. This is a prelude to the Night of the Owl storyline that is going on in Batman, and it focuses on Dick Grayson's great-grandfather who grew up to be a Talon assassin. It is super brutal. Spoiler alert. Well, hey, that was last month. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was last month. Catch up. It was just really good. A, a nice peek at the past of Gotham City and the Grayson family. Brutal art by Eddie Barrows. I'm giving it a buy it. Nightwing is a good book. Ghostbusters number eight, eight. from ID Dubs. From ID Dubs. I didn't read anything after Ghostbusters 2, not because it was a bad book. It was actually pretty fun. This is number eight. It's a standalone story starring Egon. And it was really funny, and it's really well drawn, and it's a lot of fun. I like the Ghostbusters comic. I'm going to go back and find the other ones. I'm going to start reading this. Good stuff. Buy it. Wow. Boom! That is your ludicrous speed round, and boom is the sound it makes when Cyborg opens a boom tube, because he can apparently do that now, as seen in the pages of this week's. Justice League number eight. He can do that now. Yeah, apparently he can do that now. Yeah. He boomed it so hard that it boomed right up his butt, I guess. For I reference, C T H N episode whatever. Yeah. Poop- pooping into the boom when tube. When he hunkered down and pooped into the boom tube, something <laughs> pooped back. <laughs> can we say that on a clean podcast? Oh, we just did. <laughs> we we could spend a whole episode talking about smoking weed. <laughs> Oh, dude. It's me. Oh. It's this, oh, this, sh- stop it. Oh, this, dude. This is my part. Dude, okay. That's you. Hey. Oh, you go. Hey, yes. dude. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> sorry. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> where we'll be getting lifted, lifted with some fat kind buds harvested from the Floranic Man's dreadlocks. Oh, dude. And exploring the trippy secrets of next week's comic, Matt. Me, I wrote what, Joe. What has the Floronic Man? I wrote your name, dude. What has the Floronic Man's dope ass think weed revealed to you? Okay, okay, check. Okay, check this out. My pick <laughs> for next week. Okay, check this out. My <laughs> pick for next week is Airboy. <laughs> Airboy. Deadeye number one from Antarctic Press. By Chuck Dixon and Ben Dunn. Dixon. Chuck Dixon. Who wrote the original Airboy comics back in the 80s. And they were rad. And Ben Dunn, who was uh, credited with Ninja High School, which was which wallowed in lameness. It's but, a whole school full of ninjas, man. But Ben Dunn's gotten way better, and his stuff looked really cool. He did that recent uh, World War II zombie book that I also liked. It was a two-part thing. So I'm looking forward to this, man. Airboy, Deadeye, number one. What, what are you reading next week, bro? Bro. What if they... Bro. <laughs> What if the authorities hear this? Are you getting paranoid, bro? What if they come? This is good weed. You're not supposed to get paranoid. Cigarette. The fl- I got this from the Floronic Man. Come on, dude. <sighs> My pick for next week is the Flash number eight. Don't come for me, DC, please. The secrets of the Speed Force. Francis Manipole. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. You totally murfed it, dude.
I just had to explain what murfing was to my co-host Listen, here. I don't know anything about smoking weed or what it does to people. Again, <laughs> Doesn't it make you kill kids? Yes, it makes you murder children. Right. Yes. I, that's what I learned from the PSAs. As always, we want to know what you cats are reading next week and just how high you are while you're listening to our show. If you're still listening. <laughs> It's time again for us to talk about a whole book full of pictures rather than just one of them comical books in our Take a Look. It's in a book segment where this month we're taking a look at Jim Henson's Tale of Sand. Take it away, DJ. As Matt said, Jim Henson's Tale of Sand was published by Archaia Entertainment. This is based on a screenplay written many years ago by Jim Henson and his writing partner Jerry Jewell with art by Ramon Perez. Colors in this book are by Ian Herring with Ramon Perez. Lettering and font design by Darren or Darren Bennett. I think it's probably Darren. Let's go with Darren. Darren Bennett. Duran. Look at how it's spelled. Darren Bennett, based on the handwriting of Jim Henson himself. Here is the back cover copy from the graphic novel. Between 1967 and 1974, Jim Henson and his longtime writing partner Jerry Jewell developed three drafts of a screenplay for a feature-length film entitled Tale of Sand. It was during the development of the later drafts of the screenplay that Jim Henson became involved in the production of Sesame Street and The Muppet Show and left behind the experimental filmmaking of his youth to concentrate on the creations that would in time make him a household name. Or he stopped smoking weed and eating mushrooms at the time. <laughs> Tale of Sand remained in the vaults. How dare you sir this is jim henson that we're talking dude was about so high in every you think he came up with a muppet sober come on dude. <sighs> tale of sand remained in the vaults of the jim henson company as the only feature-length screenplay written by henson that he was never able to produce during his lifetime with the permission of the jim henson company and under the direct supervision of jim's daughter lisa henson archaia entertainment is proud to bring this lost work of art to life as a graphic novel stunningly and they are right about this. Stunningly illustrated by acclaimed artist Ramon K. Perez. Okay, before we get into it, if Lisa Henson is responsible for Muppets in Space, I'd like to have a goddamn talk with her. Also, Arkea, man, their construction on their hardcovers, the presentation Beautiful. that they put out. Beautiful. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, the, the physical book itself is beautifully designed. It's a slightly oversized hardcover. It looks like an old journal. Yeah, it really does. It's bright yellow. It's got kind of sunken in purple ink that forms the art and the lettering. And it's even got like a strap for marking your pages. Yes. And even the pages were this really heavy paper yeah, stock. Thick. It heft. It's a good. It's a good looking book. It feels good to pick it up and read it. Now, I am a product of the Jim Henson generation. I grew up with Sesame Street and the Muppets and Fraggle Rock, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, and even Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. <laughs> Man, Dinosaurs is great. Not the mama. Yeah, yeah, Matt, yeah. Not the mama. When I heard there was a graphic novel coming out based on a lost Jim Henson story, I knew that I would have to put it up on my bookshelf. Here's the thing about Tale of Sand. The story itself is almost impossible to quantify. It focuses on a man named Mac who is thrust into some kind of race for his life, running from surreal situation to surreal situation, and along the way he just meets a horde of absurd characters. I'm going to say this is a dream. Maybe. I know I'll catch hell for this later since I was just trash-talking surrealism a couple of weeks ago. It's true. But 
I loved the insane energy of this book. It's so full of life and imagination. Like, the ideas on every page, I, I don't know, must have come from the weed. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's no way the guy that came up with Mr. Snuffleupagus was, like, straight and narrow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, as a narrative, it is kind of slight. It's a series of surreal encounters strung together, leading to a literal finish line. But by the time the book comes full circle, you'll you find out that the story isn't really a story at all, but it's a metaphor of some kind. And I don't want to spoil it because the ending was kind of a surprise. It came as a surprise to me. You'll just have to read it for yourself. But... As a story, there's not a lot there. This was my main criticism of the book, okay? If someone were to ask me, what is this book about? I'd have to say, possibly a guy that has a dream about the desert and a bunch of weird shit happens. I have, there's not much here, story-wise. And if there's props to be handed out, it is to Ramon Perez. Yeah. That guy blew this book up. It is amazing. And the, the way they put it together between the watercolor, the pen and ink work the actual little snippets of the script that looked to be in the background and moved to the foreground sometimes it was like they just illustrated henson's notes and they made it feel that way on purpose i mean this was not a refined script by jim henson and the movie would have just been beyond bizarre maybe a student film but (laughs) well it would have been a short film there wasn't a lot of yeah he was making short films one of them got nominated for an oscar there isn't a lot of story this is more like a lucid dream yeah i mean and i disagree i think this was a finished screenplay i'm not saying it was unfinished i'm just saying there wasn't a lot of story but it was not a maybe it wasn't like a move like a long movie right but yeah you're right the real star of this book is ramon perez and i've seen his name here and there over the past couple of years but never on anything super noteworthy which sounds bad but i mean he's not like drawing avengers or anything he's just correct me if i'm wrong did he just do the john carter thing he's currently drawing the john carter gods of mars series for marvel which, which is, is beautiful wonderful and a totally different art style too by the way it is pretty different uh apparently Perez has done a lot of work for Palladium Games on the Rifts series, which I know will make Legend Comics co-owner Dave DeMarco very happy, because he's obsessed with Rifts. Oh, Rifts sucks. <laughs> oh, man. It sucks. Uh, but the art is just it's jaw-droppingly beautiful. I, I don't understand how Perez has not become more of a name in the industry. His paneling is amazing, his storytelling is beyond reproach, and his characters are alive. They are alive with expression and body language. And like Matt said... There's an element of the art, my favorite element of the art, and I'm not sure if it's from Perez or Darren Bennett, the letterer, or both, but it's the way scans of Henson's and Jules' script were incorporated into the actual art. Yeah, it's so cool. It just reinforced this feeling that I wasn't just reading a comic, but rather I was being told a story. And the script pages just really kind of drove that home. I loved it. The thing that I love the most about this book, I think, is that... We didn't even realize this was going to be the 420 show, and I was going to have to panic and write a bunch of marijuana references <laughs> and drug references into the script. And this is totally an acid trip through the desert. I mean, it is the most psychedelic thing I have seen in years. Like, the book made me a little dizzy when I was reading it sometimes. Absolutely beautiful. It and is. pitch perfect. If you if you go back two episodes when we were talking about the Eisners and how Dave Stewart didn't, didn't get nominated for Best Colorist and blah, blah, blah. I was wrong. Yeah. At the time, we didn't know. No. But the award goes to Ian Herring, because as good as Perez's art is, it's Herring's color work that makes it just... Surreal. Come alive. Absolutely surreal. It is so beautiful. Tale of Sand was nominated for five Eisners this year, best graphic album, 
best penciler, inker, best colorist, best letterer, and best publication design. Now, Habibi probably deserves some recognition. I am prepared to say, Tale of Sand can sweep all of those categories. I would not be sad. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. What they did in this book, I've never seen anything like this. It's, yeah. And I, it really is incredible. Hats off to Arkea, Ramon Perez, everybody that worked on this. You guys knocked it out of the park. This is a gigantic buy it. I still think Habibi, a better story, and what Craig Thompson did there, just at, yeah. so epic in scale. But this, in the sense of, like, you want to see some beautiful comic art, I don't think I can think of anything off the top of my head better than this. The, yeah, it was just a wonderful experience. I'm giving it a huge buy. Yeah. Uh, it's Friday. Why should I stay sober, huh? huh? Of course, we want to know what you nerds thought of Tale of Sand, so be sure to bitch us out on our Facebook page. Next week is a fifth week for THN, so get ready! For our Mayday Top 5 Super Soviets Countdown, where we talk about our five favorite heroes of the proletariat. <laughs> Moving right along, Joe Patrick, let's read another tweet. Aaron Myers asks, what is good con etiquette for getting signatures, taking pictures with creators? Should you always buy from them? Now, as somebody who just spent this a weekend excellent question, doing this exact thing, tell them what you think. Here's what I think. And I brought my sketchbook with me. My sketchbook is full of stuff that I got for free. And I don't typically pay for finished sketches because that's not really what I want. I want my sketchbook to be a quick little, boom, here's a head of this character. Or boom, you know, whatever. You will know. Upon approaching them, you will know. They, most of them have a sign right in front of them that says, head sketch, X amount of money. Full inked, you know, whatever. X amount of money. But as far as buying what they have at their booth. I mean, that's up to you. Some of the, on the bone, I think. Yeah, I think. some of the smaller guys like that. I went, like I talked to uh, Sean Murphy, guy that drew Joe the Barbarian. He has a new series coming out called Punk Rock Jesus for Vertigo. <laughs> yeah, looks awesome. And I spoke to him for a while. He said, "Hey, you know, I'm not really doing sketches, but I am selling these completely kick-ass lithographs for like twenty bucks." Threw him twenty bucks. He signed it for me. Boom. They're all going to be cool about it because everyone is going around asking them for sketches, signatures, or whatever. They will help you as long as you're not a freak about it. They're totally going to help you. As, and like I said, most of them have prices right there. Those who don't are probably doing free stuff. As far as etiquette goes, and you know, asking for pictures and things like that, I think a number, a good rule of thumb, and I. I stole this from iFanboy. I won't deny it. Don't be creepy. Yeah, just be a nice guy. Just don't be weird about it, be man. Be nice. If they don't feel like taking a picture, then fine. Move on. Do not stop them in the bathroom or while they're eating lunch. Right. Wait till they're at their table. Oh, and here's a note to douchebag that walks up with 250 issues that he wants signed. Five. That's your limit. Five. More than that, you're an <laughs> asshole. Sort of break it, break it down like this. This generation rules the nation with version. That's it for the 420 edition of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. If you enjoy long, slow bong rips like we enjoy long, slow bong rips, be sure to get real f***ing high and subscribe to our show on iTunes. And there's going to be a lot of bleeps in this episode. Dude, we're high as shit. What do you expect? And while you're there, leave us a star rating or even a short written review to help us get into the iTunes Top 10. It is my goal for this year. I don't care for number 10, but I'll take number one. <laughs> Huge thanks to this week's donors, and if you'd like to keep us in the stickiest of the icky, you can make your donation in any amount. 
I know things. Says the guy that doesn't smoke weed. By clicking on our donate button at twoheadednerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers, try and stump comic grand poobah Joe Patrick in our Ask a Nerd segment, and submit your THN mascot art for the official THN mascot contest. If that's not enough for you, head on over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer... The question of the week. This week's query with the announcement of Marvel's Guardian of the Galaxy film in pre-production. Apparently anything and everything is on the table. So, what Marvel movie do you want to see next? And we want to hear your casting suggestions. And nothing like lame like Captain America 2. Yeah. Come on, man. Something we haven't seen yet, guys. Get weird. Something we haven't seen. Squirrel Girl. No. No. None of that furry crap. I'm sick of it. You people are sick. All right? You need help. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to George Takai because it's his big gay birthday. Word to you, Captain Sulu. And remember, kids, it's perfectly okay to be gay like George Takai. Before we go, one final tweet. Brett Merriman wants to know, hey, dudes, what superhero enjoys 420 the most? Oh, come on. Ziggy Marley's Marijuana Man. Too easy. That comic book came out on April 20th. Give me image comics. Give me a mainstream character. I demand it. Oh please, Aunt May. You the, know, you know she smoked medical marijuana. You know she is. <laughs> she gets the headaches and the munchies. Jason Todd. That's why he was a bad robber. Jason Todd. Yeah. No way. He's too intense. That dude's totally. He's bumping lines. That dude's on the chop. <laughs> oh, okay. He's he's snorting the Cleveland. The wolf. Then I'm gonna say it's Hank McCoy, the beast, because it's always the smart ones. The beast. Yeah, hey, I man. Bet, I bet Where do you think all those big ideas come from? Beast smokes down. I can see that. Or Hank Pym. They probably smoke it together. Nah, Hank Pym's probably popping pills. That dude's crazy. That dude's nuts, man. And after that analysis of your favorite Marvel characters and their drug addictions, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off! <laughs> I want you to learn a song that tells people to say no to drugs. Users are losers, and losers are users, so don't use drugs, don't use drugs. Winners don't use, and users don't win, so don't use drugs, don't use drugs. If you know a user even part of the time, tell them to quit, take a bite out of crime. Users are losers, and losers are users, so don't use drugs, don't use drugs. Okay, everybody, if you know a user even part of the time, tell them to quit, take a bite out of crime. Users are losers, and losers are users, I don't use drugs, don't use drugs. Nice going. Now, teach it to your mom and dad and brothers and sisters and friends to help take a bite out of crime. Yeah.